Welcome to Here We Grow, the grassroots podcast by Southwest Georgia Farm Credit focused on education and inspiring growth down on the farm, at home, and in rural communities. Whether you're a farmer or farm her, advocate, land lover, or southern dweller, we have industry experts and homegrown leaders ready to share their insights with you. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Here We Grow, a podcast designed to educate and tell rural Georgia stories through farms, agribusinesses, land ownership, and lifestyles. Today marks one year since our first launch of our first episode. Over the last year, we have recorded 19 episodes and hosted 48 guests, all respected speakers and experts in their field. We thank our Southwest Georgia community for tuning in and giving us your support. I'm your host, Billy Billings, a relationship manager with Southwest Georgia Farm Credit. Today, I welcome a fantastic lineup of experts willing to share their fall forecasts and insights to the 2023 harvest season. This episode features commentary by Pam Knox, Scott Munford, and Don Shirley. Pam, Scott, and Don, glad to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here, Billy. Thanks for having us. Nice, nice to be here. All right. Well, first up today is Ms. Pam Knox. Ms. Pam is the director of the University of Georgia Weather Network a group of 88 automated weather stations across the state which provide weather and climate data to farmers, utilities, extension agents, and private citizens. The network also helps the National Weather Service by providing real-time weather information and hazardous weather outbreaks, and this helps support the safety of initiatives. She's an extension climatologist in the UGA College of Agriculture and Environmental Sciences and specializes in agriculture and climate change and is the past assistant state climatologist for Georgia. She's also served as the Wisconsin State Climatologist. Pam is currently serving as an author for the upcoming 5th National Climate Assessment on Southeastern Climate. Welcome, Ms. Knox. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, it was crazy. It's been a year um, since we last talked. I mean, there's been obviously the, the usual climate stirrups in our area, which have been, I mean, pressure systems coming from the Gulf. I don't yep. think we've had too much tornado activity this year, but when it comes to crops, the hurricane is definitely our biggest threat, followed by the drought. So I'm going to let you take the floor and kind of tell us what you've seen in the past 12 calendar months. All right. Well, you know, the past, in, in some ways, the past 12 calendar months has been better than we have seen in some previous years. We've had quite a bit of rain, uh, for good or ill, right? It's, if you have too much rain, of course, at one time, then it's hard to get into the fields and you start to have problems with fungal diseases. And we've certainly seen some of that this year. I'm sure Scott will talk about that more later. So, but the last few weeks have dried out quite a bit, and some areas, especially in southwest Georgia now, are back in drought again. And so, um, you know, that's a little bit of a concern because the crops still have a little ways to go before it's time to harvest. But we haven't seen any really severe droughts like they have seen in other parts of the country this year. So for that, I'm thankful because overall, I think we've done pretty well. Um, there has been quite a bit of severe weather, not necessarily in the crop growing areas, but farther to the north in the state where we've had a lot of uh, daily thunderstorm activity that's come through. Um, probably the biggest stories for agriculture the past year uh, were the, the spring frost, which of course caused tremendous problems for peaches um, this year. And then uh, Hurricane Idalia, which came in through the southeast part of the state and caused a lot of problems for some crops like corn. Uh, a lot of corn got blown over, and we had uh, a lot of problems with pecan farmers who had trees blown over and lost a lot of the nuts off the trees as well. So, so they really had been affected by the hurricane that's come through. It wasn't that it was as strong as Michael was a few years ago, 
but for the areas that got hit, it was just really devastating. Right. Yeah, I heard um, while it barely missed our our territory over here for Southwest Georgia Farm Credit. I mean, it just right there. I live in Thomas County. We yep. were just on the edge, but um, we were we were glad to be on the western side of that cone as opposed to the eastern because uh, if you're in that right front quadrant, that's where it's the most dangerous and windy. That's right, and and there was a lot of problems. I know down in Florida where the winds were even stronger when it came on shore, they had a lot of problems with infrastructure too, and I've heard that a lot of um, chicken coops, you know, they, they lost their power, and so they lost their ventilation and water, and they had to they had to euthanize the chickens because they just couldn't survive the heat. Uh, one thing I have not heard a lot of is damage to pine trees. I was, that was a big problem with Hurricane Michael. I uh, have not heard as much of that this year. But, of course, infrastructure continues to be an issue. I know that there are several uh, peanut-buying areas where they have lost uh, buildings and other kinds of infrastructure. A lot of pivots have blown over uh, across the region from the winds. And uh, so there was definitely infrastructure damage as well. Uh, the cotton, you know, it's just starting to to open up. And so I think less damage than if it had come maybe a month later when most of it had already been defoliated, which was the problem with Hurricane Michael, you might remember. It was just about a week uh, before most of it was going to be harvested. So the timing is a little bit more beneficial, but it's hard to tell because those those plants took quite a beating with that wind. And so it's there may be some residual damage, which we just haven't seen yet. Uh, peanuts, I think, a little further behind. And so probably even less damage to peanuts. We'll just have to see what happens. Of course, you know, the tropical season's not over yet. And so that is something that we'll have to keep in mind. Although, I mean, fortunately for us this year, most of the tropical storms have turned and moved up to the north before they've hit the U.S. coast. And I think that has something to do with the fact that we have an El Nino this year and the, the way the, the circulation pattern has set up. We're just not seeing a lot of activity in the southeast, and that's been good for us. So I know you had the El Nino and the La Nina, I believe, from my, my mm-hmm. middle school days. What is the, the difference between those two, and what can you expect for our area when those sure. are in place? Sure. Um, El Nino and La Nina are like opposite ends of the same weather phenomena. When we have a La Nina, which is what we've had for the past three years, the ocean temperatures in the eastern Pacific Ocean, so here we are, we're talking about the coast of Peru and Ecuador, um, are much colder than usual, and it sets up a certain kind of weather pattern that can stretch across the whole globe and certainly affects the climate here in the southeast. And right now we have switched to the opposite phase, which is called El Nino. And in El Nino, the water in that same area is much warmer than usual, and that creates the growth of a lot of thunderstorms in that area because they like that really warm water. And that's like putting a rock into a river. It changes the weather patterns downstream. And we are, in some respects, downstream of that, of that uh, you know, warm pool of water. And so what we're seeing is that um, this year the jet stream has moved farther to the south. It's been more over um, the southeast than it is in, often in the summer. You know, often in the summer we get high pressure for most of the summer. We have certainly had some of that, but we've also had these periods where we've had storms coming in from the northwest on an almost daily basis. And so that's caused some some more problems. Certainly we've gotten more rain from that as well, so it hasn't been all bad. But going into the winter, which is when an El Nino is usually the strongest, we do expect to see that um, the temperatures are going to be cooler than normal, 
uh, for the winter months, and we're going to definitely get more rain than we usually do. Chances of snow are not ever very high in Georgia, but there's always the possibility of that. And when I say cool temperatures, I'm not necessarily saying that we're going to get the really cold temperatures like we did around Christmas last year, but it means we're going to have more cloudy days, and so the daytime temperatures are not going to be as warm as they might be um, otherwise. And so uh, we should see a little bit more um, chill hours for peaches, which would be good, and hopefully not uh, any real warming like we had in February last year. But, of course, you know, every every month is different, so we we never know for sure. So, Pam, what – this is Scott. Um, where does that put us on potential early frost, like in October? I mean, that was a problem last year that caused us to lose some yield and potential on peanuts. Are we in that same situation, which would be bad this year because our crop has moved back a little bit? Yeah, it's there's not much to be said about El Nino and frost, except when you have neither – El Nino or La Nina, you're more likely to have later frost in the spring. But the weather pattern that we're in right now is not really conducive to these really big cold outbreaks. And so I I would say I'm cautiously optimistic we're not going to see that this year. Uh, We'll probably see more cloudy conditions. Cloud keeps the temperatures up at night, um, so that would make it a little bit less likely to get frost. And with the more um, frequent rains that we've had, soil's a little bit moister, that also tends to keep the temperature up a little bit more at night. So both of those things are positive signs for having a later frost. Hopefully it's not like the frost we got though earlier this year, because let me tell you, that was that was a cold <laughs> one. We're not conditioned to that here in South Georgia. Oh, I know. I know. It, it, it caused a lot of problems for agriculture. Yep. Well, that was awesome, Ms. Pam. We're going to tie in our second speaker, and then we'll all loop back here at the end. But next on our list is Mr. Scott Munford. He's the Extension Peanut Agronomist at the UGA Tifton campus in Tifton, Georgia. Scott joined the UGA Extension Peanut team in August of 2014. His primary focus is the development of cost-effective crop management systems, including cultivar evaluation, tillage systems, price ag technologies, and the peanut industry. He earned his BSA and MS in plant pathology from the University of Georgia, Go Dogs, and a PhD in plant science from the University of Arkansas. Welcome, Mr. Scott. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. All righty. Well, I'm going to let you have the floor. Tell us a little bit about uh, the peanut knowledge you have up there. Well, the (laughs) the knowledge that might be lacking sometimes. Um, (laughs) You know, talking about the crop itself, you know, every year for the longest time, we seem, you know, every time I get in front of growers, we always say, you know, in a typical year. But we've not had a typical year in 10-plus years that I know of. And so that's one thing that is kind of worrisome because we can never kind of predict what's going to happen and this year was nothing nothing any or any more different than that we um we started this year off thinking we were going to be okay and then we we had one of the coldest probably one of the coldest mays that i've seen in a long time the temperature stayed way down it pushed our our uh, majority of our planting back about two weeks and then everything that that did get planted um in April and in the first part of May, sat in the ground for 21-plus days before they even come up. And and then when they did come up, they sat in just sitting there, not really growing for almost a month. Um, and so this first part of this crop really struggled. And then we got everything planted with the mid-May crop, and uh, and we got, a, got it going, and everybody was pretty happy about it for the most part. It looked good, and then um, Lord knows we... 
we've been getting rains, everything was moving in the right direction. And then we get to the point in in July that we run into this this dry period, and that dry period uh, going into August stayed, you know, one, two, three, up to six weeks, with some people only receiving like six to seven tenths over a six week period during our biggest or the peak time of bloom um, in peanut. And so, unfortunately, we're in a part of the state that probably got hit the hardest. Um, We are having to dig peanuts instead of 140 to 45 days. We're digging peanuts at 115 to 20 because it's dry land. The plants had already given up, and they're coming loose in the hole. And so if growers really want to keep what's on the vine – and be able to get something out of it, we're digging them. And and so that's going to cause our yields to go down, especially dry land. There's some of these that, like I said, dry land, we're only yielding between 1,500 pounds and maybe 3,500 pounds at the best on some of the dry land. And and that's in the southwest corner um, all the way up to probably Randolph and, and some of those counties a little bit further north all had that same situation. Now, you get to the east Georgia Kind of around 75 and further over, they received a lot more rain um, all the way through the season. And then the system did provide more rain for them that is going to help finish their crop out. So they look pretty good over there. And I think we got a good good quality crop. Here, uh, irrigated, you can pretty much think across the board, irrigated is not the, the best crop that we ever had, but it's a good one. Uh, we're not gonna. We're gonna probably be down because again, all the dry weather, the during the rainy periods, all the cloudy weather, we just didn't set that crop like we should. Uh, we really to set a just a bumper crop on irrigated. You want to have a lot of dry period in there, but not overly dry, so that you can keep up with supplemental irrigation. And so that's when we can control the disease a little bit better and all that. But disease is another big issue. This caused a lot of problems this year because of too much. Too much water in some places, not enough in others. And so you just have one disease that hits you hard here and another one hits you hard in other spots. And we've had a lot of insect problems. And so we we have managed overall, we've managed most of our pest problems, but it's the weather that really is crucial here that has caused the problem. Uh, we just didn't didn't get enough. And we had a lot of people from insurance companies and, and from the shellers and some other folks, you know, and even uh, some media people go, well, you know, Adele, you gave you all that rain. You should be okay. Well, the problem is it was about three weeks too late. Right. And it so was. when they say, what is the damage from the storm for peanuts? Probably nothing. It was the weather before that that caused the damage. Um, yes, it helped us with moisture, but it didn't hurt us at all. And so we're sitting pretty here. The only thing that, that I think the weather did cause that we're having to kind of play with a little bit is um, maturity on a peanut. Uh, it's a little bit difficult sometimes to determine when the best time to dig. You know, typically all of our varieties are 140-day peanut. That's pretty pretty consistent. And looking at the weather and how much it held us back, we are about 10 days later than that. And most growers don't want to hear that. And when we put them on the what we call the maturity board, how we deci- decide how to or when to dig these peanuts, 
you know, on on the board, they look like, yeah, they're ready to go. But when you really take a better look at them, we need to leave them in the ground 10 more days if the disease is not bad. So I'm trying to tell people not to get in a hurry. Let's go ahead and get the dry land stuff out of the way that needs to be harvested, and let's let the, the irrigated be pushed a little bit to kind of gain more weight and get better quality. And so that's the name of the game here. But I know everybody with a majority of our plant and two weeks later – everybody is about just to drive themselves mad because we should be digging right now in a normal year and they want to get through. So I understand that, but we also don't want to lose all this, all the revenue that, you know, in the field. So do best we can. Yeah. With that late cold spring, like you said, the seeds just sat in there and didn't germinate, sat there and almost didn't grow for three, four weeks. So for the, for the listener that's not a peanut farmer, Two questions here. What is the ideal germination or soil temperature for the seed to take off and start running? And then, obviously, talking about the droughts, what's an what's an average per acre yield? And then, what do you what's a what's a great per acre yield? And what's I mean, what are you seeing on some of these really okay. dry fields? That's those those are fair questions. <laughs> um, the you know, in order to germinate, we want to have at least three days of average soil temperatures at sixty eight degrees or higher. In all reality, if in April, if they're at 68 degrees, they're going to take 10 to 12, 14 days to come up and start growing. That's still, we're still somewhat, you know, in the 70s during the day, not really hot. But the hotter we get going into May, the the faster they come out of the ground. So if we're, say, 75 degree soil temps, they're going to come out of the ground instead of 7 to 10 days, they're going to be 3 to 5 days. Or, you know, that kind of situation, the faster they can, the, the warmer the soil, if they got enough moisture, they're going to come out pretty quick uh, within that five-day window. And they're going to be, you know, for the most part, growing off. But when we had temperatures like we did in May, it takes them a long time to really get to where they need to in order to start blooming and start, you know, really canopying over the ground and, and doing what they need to. Um and so we, we want that every year. We're, we're aiming for that, but always, for some reason or another, we'll have a week of cold weather in there. This year, we had six weeks, and that, <laughs> that didn't help us. Um, yields. So in, I'd say, irrigated yields down in this neck of the woods, we can, you know, we average fifty five to 6,500 pounds for the most part. Now, we've got large uh, growers down here that that we have attend the Peanut Achievement Club every year, they're pushing that seven thousand pound range. So uh, we've had a few go seventy five hundred pounds or better in some of the better years. That's but that's in a year where we're not too wet, not too dry, but somewhere in between. Uh, dry land is always one of those things that's hard to predict what's a good average. You know, we would like to make six thousand pounds no matter what, but. A dry land acre is going to go anywhere from thirty-five to six thousand pounds, and it just depends on when they receive the rain, you know, and and how they were planted, what time of year, and that kind of thing. And um, especially, and most of these average yields are based on planting between you know the first of May and the end of May. You get to June, it gets a little bit harder to predict, and we have about. About 20% of our acres planted in June at the most sometimes. Those are going to take a 20% yield hit or, or um, elimination 
just because we run out of heat units. And that's why I asked Pam that earlier about are we going to see an early frost in October because a majority of our peanuts, I'd say 50%, were planted between May 15th and May the 30th. And so we need that hot October to finish this crop out. And, and if we have an early frost, that, that's going to hurt us significantly. A frost will kill the vine, and, and if you don't get them out sooner and later, they'll, they'll stay in the ground. Is that correct? It, it won't kill them outright, but what it will do is it will stop them from progressing. So it'll hold them because there will be plenty. It, a, a frost will burn the tops out, and it just cause the plant to stop moving forward. And so we say as long as uh, you don't have a hard freeze, now a freeze would kill them, um, we're okay. And so you can just, at that point, if it's irrigated, we don't want to lose anything. And so within the next week or so, you want to be in there, you know, trying to trying to get them but, or trying to dig them uh, because we don't want those to deteriorate to a point to where the pegs start to get weak and we start to lose peanuts in the ground. Right. Well, I know that peanuts have held pretty strong the past few years as far as contract price-wise per ton. So there's a lot of good peanuts out there. Hopefully we can get them out of the field sooner than later because um, our next guest covers a different commodity, and this commodity has been all over the all over the spectrum as far as price per pound in the past few years. So next I'm going to welcome Mr. Don Shirley. Mr. Don is retired from the University of Georgia as an economist. He spent 28 years on the UGA Tifton campus. He has continued his cotton work through industry sponsorships, contracts, and grants, as well as consultings, prints, and online media. With 33 years' experience in cotton, Don is widely considered by industry and peers as one of the nation's leading cotton experts. He is a recipient of some of UGA's and College of Ag's Environmental Sciences' highest awards for public service and outreach. Don also teaches part-time at ABAC, teaching commodity marketing and agricultural policy. Welcome, Mr. Shirley. Bailey, thank you. Thank you for having me again this year. Yes, sir. So a lot's happened since you and I talked last. I think prior to you coming here last year, cotton was at a at, at a surge or it just had surged and it was on the uh, the downturn. So and I, we're pretty much sitting kind of where where it landed last year. So take the floor and kind of tell us what you're seeing out there. Well, let me uh, let me start off with a blanket statement. There's not a cotton farmer out there, Scott, that doesn't want. 90 cents for cotton. <laughs> that's correct. And um, that's what they're waiting on. And what I want to do is kind of give us some background on uh, where we've been and why in terms of price and uh, and then look at the outlook as we're getting ready to start harvest, start picking on cotton here in the next uh, month or so, what what the growers can look for. Uh, let me start off by saying we've had – Two consecutive years. Last year when I was sitting here, it was the same thing. We've had two consecutive years now where the U.S. cotton crop has been uncertain due to drought, Uh, specifically the crop in Texas, which is the top cotton producer. Um, We've known that the acreage in Texas and the yield have been issues uh, for most of this growing season. But there's still been a lot of uncertainty, and the main reason why is because USDA has been slow to show really how bad that situation was when they come out with their weekly and monthly numbers. In other words, the boots on the ground out in Texas were telling us we don't have that crop. We don't have what USDA is 
is telling us that we have. And believing strongly in that, the boots on the ground in Texas were just having to wait until USDA confirmed what the situation was. I think that's kind of the same way with peanut as well. It could be. Yeah, could be. If the if USDA's current numbers hold, far as the U.S. crops concerned, we're looking at the lowest crop since 2015. USDA's September numbers, which were out just recently, trimmed the U.S. crop by 860,000 bales, or 6%, from that previous August projection. The U.S. average yield was increased slightly, but acres expected to be harvested, and again, this comes back on Texas, the acres expected to be harvested this year were reduced by 600,000 acres. 350,000 of that was in Texas. So again, USDA is finally coming in and making adjustments in the Texas crop, which the folks out there had said was needed for quite a while. Our Georgia crop, interestingly, our Georgia crop was cut by a quarter of a million acres. That was due primarily to a little bit of adjustment down in yield. I'll talk about that here in a minute. But there was an adjustment down in the acres based on certified plantings. So uh, our Georgia crop was, uh, was cut a quarter of a million acres. The projected 2023 uh, crop, uh, the U.S. crop, has been cut over 3 million bales or 20% since USDA's estimate back in June. So the crop has gotten smaller and smaller. Uh, this latest cut in the crop should help give us some support in prices. And there's also some crop concerns about what's going on in India in China and Australia. So it's not just the U.S. that has had a weather situation with regard to the crop. India is the world's largest, uh, one of our largest export competitors. So it's important what goes on there. China is one of our largest customers on the imports market. But let me make this comment. Again, we were talking about looking ahead. These concerns about supply are not an issue in this market. The supply has finally adjusted downward uh, with this month's report. I think supply and concerns about supply really are not the issue. The questions and the uncertainty and the reason prices haven't done better. I had one grower tell me cotton ought to be a dollar and a half. And if we were just looking at what's happened on the supply side and all the issues that we've had, he would be right. But the question and uncertainty in this market and what's holding price back is the demand side. But let me say this. I think that these demand concerns are being overplayed. What I'm saying is I think people that are skittish about the demand side of the equation They've been in control of this of this market and have been holding prices back. So if we can if we can get over that, then price has an opportunity uh, to do better. The farmers that have been wanting ninety cents or better, they may get it. 
but it's going to take some work on the demand side to get us there. In terms of looking at our Georgia crop, our crop is 60% open. Scott, that's a little Mm. ahead of normal, slightly ahead of normal where we typically are this time of year. The crop was rated 56% good to excellent, much more good than excellent, but the crop looks, looks really good. Uh, we've got 8% of the crop that's rated poor to very poor. I mentioned earlier about the production here in Georgia being down quarter of a million eight, uh, bales. Our state average yields projected to be just over 1,000 pounds an acre. That's two bales per acre, a little more than two bales per acre. And that's down a little bit from USDA's estimate back in August. But even if that, and it's 1,004 pounds, if the current yield estimate holds, that'll be our highest yield in the state of Georgia since the record yield back in 2012. So yield-wise, the crop looks really good. Yeah, we don't. We don't see that coming with peanut. We, we, I've been talking to many people. I think ours are going to. We're going to start somewhere around thirty nine, and we may bump up a little bit, but it's not going to be that nice. Well, the the, the um, you know the cotton crop still got a ways to go too. Hope, but hopefully, we'll these yields will hold and we'll do we'll do well. Uh, as I mentioned earlier at the outset, farmers want ninety cents or better. We've made three runs at 90 cents. And that's been just within the last two or three months. We've, the market has made three runs toward 90 cents, but the market has not been able to sustain, has not been able to hold there. Each time we make that run toward 90 cents, then the market falls back three or four cents. We just haven't been able to stay there. Um, so I think the question is, if, if you know, for the growers out there, where does this leave us? I think the 90 cents objective, like I said, I, you know, that's what farmers want, 90 cents or better. I think that 90 cents objective is certainly reasonable. And I think this market has a chance to get there or even higher. But to get there, we're going to have to get over these jitters that we talked about on the demand side, a lot of uncertainty on demand. Um, Right now, it's the demand side that's holding us back. Um, But like I said, I think the market pessimists, which are on the demand side, uh, have overplayed their hand. As of today, as we speak today, we're at roughly 87 to 88 cents on the December futures. Uh, with our strong basis here in the southeast and in Georgia, you could get 90 cents on a contract. 90 cents contracting seems to be a reasonable marketing plan for at least some portion of the crop. And I know that there's, because I've talked to them, I know there are quite a few farmers out there that have already done some of this. Some of them did it way back in January and February when we made that first run up to the mid-'80s. Some of them jumped in then, and then more of them have jumped in uh, over these last three times, like I said, when the market made that run and priced a little bit more. You know, how much to price is up to the grower, but 
price enough to be comfortable that you feel like you're protected somewhat from prices going back lower and then leave still leave something open to market if the market uh, does move higher so some balance in there between taking protection but yet having some crop to sell if the market does make another run to 90 cents or even higher and to echo mr don uh, for the listeners that might not understand crop contracts you can go to your crop broker or where you will sell or gin your your cotton and you can you can at that, that that day's price you can say i want to do so many bales at today's price and what that does is it it guarantees that you can sell that many bales on that contract at that specific price now the market can go up it can go down but those amount of bales are locked in so kind of hedging your your risk yeah that's that's a good point and typically the grower is going to be slow to do that particularly early in the season like i said some growers when cotton got up to the mid 80s back in january and february some growers jumped on board and went ahead and contracted some but they're going to be slow to do that typically because when you contract like that you guarantee delivery so the farmer i mean the crop's not even planted back then You know, the farmer's going to be hesitant to crawl out on that limb too far because you have to guarantee delivery. But as we get later into the season, now, heaven forbid, we should get another storm come through, Scott, with the the crop being at least 60% open now. We're getting to a point in the season where the farmer's more comfortable about the potential out there. And if they feel good about the price, they'll want to come in and do more contracting, like you said. Right. Well, I do know I have some that are defoliating this week, so it won't be long before you see the, the South Georgia snow, snow standing out there and uh, cotton pickers rolling. I do know that I believe Michael hit in October, so we, we've still got a little bit of hurricane season ahead of us and rainy weather, but hopefully, uh, like you said, everything's been, like Miss Pam says, they've been turning up and going up the East Coast before they've uh, come into the Gulf, so that's been a blessing this year. Yeah, I don't see anything on the on the horizon for probably next week to 10 days. So I think that's good news. Yep, that's great. One thing you did say that kind of made me a little, uh, my hands a little sweaty is, I mean, about the gloomy weather and the cloudy weather. And um, with the with the cotton crop, if you get a rain, you do need some sunshine after that to dry those bowls out and decrease yep. bowl rot, which uh, leads to decreasing quality and yield. So hopefully you were off in your statement there, but you're normally spot on. So Well, well I'm thinking that's more like November, so hopefully most people will have their crops in by then. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And one thing good about the new cotton pickers, too, you're not leaving cotton in a, in a modulator anymore. Most people are coming in there, and they're rolling it and getting a, a protective plastic wrap around it. So yep. I know everybody would love for kind of the peanut situation is how high are the contracts going to potentially grow with peanut, and that's always out of my hands, but... Yeah, it's just like yield. I don't want to predict yield either. We just we got a little ways to go here and try to figure it out. But um, but no, I think we got a good a good average crop, and I think the quality will be there except for some of the dry land, and we just got to watch that. But you know, for the for what we got, I think it's in the in the stresses we've gone through, it, we've come through it okay. Yeah, well, I have. I don't have too many operations anymore that are just one crop or or one animal anymore. So I know that. Those that are diversified in their crops are glad to have a little peanuts in the ground this year with the uncertainty in the cotton price. 
and uh, maybe Mr. Don's right. We'll make a run at 90 and maybe pass it and on to a dollar closer towards harvest. But we'll see. But that concludes our podcast today with Miss Pam, Mr. Scott, and Mr. Don. For more information, visit our website at swgafarmcredit.com. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app to get notified of new episodes. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram for great industry resources. Thanks for listening.